Good morning. Welcome to Grace Point. All you joining us online, welcome as you join us that way. I pray that God moves mightily in our midst. Would you uh, indulge me for a moment? My mind's racing like crazy this morning. So I just want to take a moment to center myself on uh, hearing the voice of the Lord. Would you bow your heads with me, please? Lord God, I want to thank you for this opportunity uh, just to uh, speak and share some from your word. I pray that your uh, words would come through clearly, Lord, and that our hearts would be touched um, by the concepts and principles, Lord, that will be talked about this morning. We pray this in your name, Jesus, and by your blood. Amen. I want to begin by asking you a question. If someone came to you and said, what does it mean to be in the center of God's will? How would you respond? What would be some of the buzzwords that you would use, some of the concepts that you would share I know frequently I'd hear someone say, if I'm in the center of God's word, I'll feel peace, I'll feel satisfaction, I'll feel like my life is full of purpose. And um, sometimes even the words we use, I'm happy, and I feel like life is what it's meant to be, I'm fully satisfied. Would this phrase ever come into that definition? Well, I'm discouraged right now, and I'm going through a wilderness experience. I'm right in the center of God's will. Would anybody say that? Would you even think that? It's, it's, it's not a common way of looking at being in God's will. But think about the Israelites, the ancient Israelites. God calls them to the promised land of Canaan, right? But to get there, they had to go through, what, 40 years of wilderness and experiencing him firsthand. The wilderness experience was part of the, their maturation and their growing up in the Lord and becoming the people that God intended them to become. And it's described this way. The wilderness is described this way. It was great and terrible. So they went through this greatly terrible time that was right in the center of God's will for them. That's what I'm going to explore in this message today. Aren't you glad you are here? It will be good. Open up your heart to what God wants to say to you this morning. So we're on week two of our series, The Art of Being Unordinary, uh, Reimagining Life. And we're going to look into deeply what it means to have a wilderness experience and how God wants to use that in your life to conform you to the image of Jesus Christ. Um, Has God ever brought you through a wilderness experience? Any of you? I hope you all raise your hands. We all go through them. We may not call them that, but we all go through times of struggle and hardship and where we question God and what he's up to. It's a a place usually of problems. At the same time, it can be a place where you begin to discover true purpose and true destination in your life. The wilderness is often um, very puzzling uh, from our perspective, but it's often God's plan for your uh, development. If you're in a wilderness place in your life, you may find it more puzzle than purpose. That, that's been my experience. Um, but I want to just encourage you, don't be overwhelmed, don't be confused. Instead, look to what God wants to do and how he wants to develop you. Um, so enough preamble questions. What can we know for sure about the purpose of the wilderness in the life of God's people? We're going to go to Deuteronomy chapter 8. I'm going to read to you verses 2 through 4. Listen to this. Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years to humble and test you. What is he doing in the wilderness? He's humbling us and he's testing us in order to know what is in your heart. God is always first and foremost concerned about what? Our hearts and where they're at. Whether or not you would keep his commands. 
He humbled you, causing you to hunger, and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your ancestors had known, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Your clothes did not wear out, and your feet did not swell during the 40 years. So let's look at what is the wilderness. Point number one. The wilderness is a place of testing to reveal your true self. So the wilderness is a place of testing to reveal your true self. Until you go through some difficult times, friends, until you do that, until you go through some sort of testing, some sort of trial, you can think, well, I believe in Jesus. You can think, well, I'll behave as a Christ follower. But that testing, that time of trial, proves it out. It shows the authenticity of your faith. Is it real or is it not real? The only way that that can happen is to go through what? Some kind of wilderness experience, some kind of trial, some kind of testing. And, and hopefully the response is one of authenticity on our part and, and humbleness to mold us to the image of Jesus Christ. The Union Pacific Railroad was being constructed. And they, they built this really elaborate trestle bridge across a large canyon in the west. And we have a picture of that here. Now, I have an engineering degree I love these kind of things. Amen? Anybody with me on this? If we were going on vacation, I would stop and have to touch it. Because it's, it's a marvel of engineering. It's it just the way it carries the, um, the load and the forces and stuff. It just, it's just really cool. Isn't that cool? Come on now. You can say amen. That's cool, Pastor Steve. It's cool. I, I mean, that to me would be a highlight of a trip with my wife out west. If I could see a train bridge like that, I would stop and say, we got to watch it. We got to walk in it, touch it, and all that kind of thing. And so one worker asks, well, it, let me back up. The engineer that designed this and the owner of the bridge said, listen, we're going to test it. So they loaded a train up double the normal capacity, and they parked it on the bridge for a day. And one of the workers said, what are you trying to do, uh, break the bridge? No, the builder replied, I'm trying to prove that bridge won't break. All right? The wilderness is an opportunity, friends, who love Jesus Christ, to show that you will not break under stress. Amen? That you will cling to God no matter what you're going through. That's the wilderness experience. That's the benefit of it. It shows that your faith is genuine and that God will sustain you in the midst of it. Let's go to point number two. The wilderness is a place of separation, focusing you on God as your only source. A mechanic accidentally swallowed some brake fluid. I don't know why he did that. But he liked the taste. Before he knew it, he finished off the whole bottle. <laughs> One of his coworkers caught him the next day sneaking a sip of the brake fluid. And he said, man, that stuff will kill you. Uh, you know, you need to give it up. To which the mechanic replied, I can stop anytime. <laughs> Come on, that's kind of funny. All, all you old guys are laughing, and all the young people are going, what? That's not even worthy of being called a dad joke, is it? I read that, and I laughed my head off. I said, you can stop anytime? Oh, well, yeah. I thought it was funny. Oftentimes, what happens in our lives is entirely wrong. We're sipping on the brake fluid. Tastes good. But it will kill us. And we think we can stop any time, but we can't. We get all caught up in the cares and the worries of this world. We get all caught up in their agendas. It's easy to think our life's about health, wealth, and, 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 um, and comfort. And then God brings into our lives a moment of wilderness. Why? Because we're depending on the wrong thing, and what we're depending on will kill us. 
And so he separates us from it. He separates it from us uh, so that we learn to lead, lean on him because this world is a loud and distracting place. God took the Israelites through the desert. And we have a picture of, of, of desert up here. So that, that they, they could be apart from the influences of Egypt. Now, the uncertainties of a place like this creates a need real fast, right? That's not prime farmland. You're not going to grow corn there, are you? Well, maybe the new hybrids, who knows? <laughs> There's no water. There's no food. What happens when you're in a place of the desert? What happens in the place of the wilderness? Who becomes your dependency? God. There's no one else to turn to. You have to cry out to God. And I imagine that this is what the Israelites saw as they went into the wilderness. They saw this desolate, dead place. And now what? They had to depend on God for water and for food. And the wilderness is a place to rethink and reorient your life. You realize you can't make it on your own. That God will intervene in ways you haven't even imagined. So we're told here that he miraculously fed the Israelites. He miraculously fed them manna. Now manna is an interesting name. It means what is it? They get this bread from heaven and they go, what is it? That's what the name manna means. Every time they did, they go, we're eating, what is it? We don't even know how to name it. We can't even imagine what, that God would supply this way. And this was to be a reorientation experience and lesson for those ancient Israelites. Um, that could be summarized this way. You do not live by bread alone. Life is more than the physical. You don't live by the word of God. That's what God was teaching the Israelites. You know, life isn't about food and water. Life is about my word and your dependency on me alone. And he was reorienting their worldview for them by bringing them into this place, all the wilderness. Uh, I want you to, uh, in fact, I encourage you to think differently. If you're in a place of wilderness, I want you to begin to think about it entirely differently. It's not something that's inconvenient. It's not something that takes away. It's an opportunity to lean into God more. You need to begin to do that. So let's talk about wilderness experiences a little bit. This maybe will help you understand. I'm going to give you some wilderness examples. Maybe your wilderness is that you're lonely. Loneliness. Anybody lonely in here? Probably not going to raise your hand, are you? Because you're lonely. But I grew up super lonely. I was in this family that was hard. And uh, I had a very detached dad. And... I remember from the earliest time in my life just being incredibly lonely. Anybody relate to me? Just feeling like there was no one in the world that really cared about me or even thought about me. And then I had a bunch of friends in this little neighborhood of Willistone. Okay, not Williston. It's Willistone. It's actually its name. And um, I, I grew up with this neighborhood, and there was about a, a dozen people my age. Well, uh, they all got into drugs. And I'm not any kind of an angel <laughs> back then, especially. They got into LSD. They got into some of this heavy-duty stuff, and I, I just I, I couldn't do that. And they categorically rejected me because I wouldn't do this stuff with them. And I, I remember feeling so isolated and so alone that I didn't have any friends 
there close to me. I didn't have a family where you can go home and get encouraged. And, and so my memories growing up was one of just extraordinarily loneliness. Anybody relate to me here at all? Now, you, we may not call it that, but that's what it is. But you know what that did for me? It softened my heart to Christ. And when I came to Christ, I came to Christ hard. And he is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. And I knew that in this world we're going to have troubles, but I knew that I could come to my Lord and he would love me unconditionally. And that just attracted me and it just changed my life. And that wilderness experience I look at, back at it now was preparing me to be close to my Savior. See, that's what wilderness experiences do for us if we use them rightly. Another wilderness experience uh, could be that you worry a lot. Worry. Anybody worry in here? Ben talked on that. Yeah, worry is a common, common thing that people are experiencing right now. Uh, and worry can be a, a doorway to knowing Jesus as your peace. You know, we just went through a few years of anxiety, right? A little bit for some of us. And I think a lot of people have not recovered. They're chronic worriers now. They're concerned about everything And I'm going to say this to you, friends, especially if you're in the Lord Jesus Christ. If you tend to be a worrier, you need to go to the foot of the cross and plead the blood of Christ over yourself. Because who by worry can add a single hour to their lives? You've got to come to Jesus and you've got to say, I need your peace. I need to experience your peace. I need your peace to flood my mind. I need your peace to take over my heart and my thoughts. It needs to consume me because worry can be a doorway to peace. It can be that wilderness experience that says, I can't do life on my own. All I do is fret and worry and I'm full of anxiety. And what good does that do anybody, including myself? And you cast your cares upon the Lord and he careth for you and he will come in and he will grace you with his peace. Amen? So frequently, worry is a wilderness experience. How about this? Your wilderness experience may be that you're weak, weakness. Realizing the frailty of yourself, this can be a doorway to experiencing God's, uh, what I would call, strength. So I grew up in all kinds of athletics, you know, because I turned to those because that's where I got my encouragement from. And I got my self-worth from when I was a young person. And so when I grew, uh, graduated from high school, I was a specimen. Anybody been there? You know, you're just in physically good shape. You think life's going to be like that the rest of your life. Ha, that's a joke. Anyway, my friend Mark and I just remember this. We're in just really good shape. And we said, let's go running tonight. Because we were teenagers. We started at 10 o'clock at night. Because that's what teenagers do, right? You run at night. And so we said, we'll run 13 miles. So we ran 13 miles. And you know what I'm going to say? It wasn't hard. It was kind of easy. And we get done and I go, well, that wasn't as hard as I thought it would be. And I went to bed and I was a little sore, you know, the next day. Now I'm going to tell you something, friends. If I run a block, I'm done. I'm sore for a week. When you get older, you don't have the strength of youth. You're just sore from... I remember my, my, my son-in-law saying, I did 20 squats yesterday. I can hardly stand today. Just, you know, squats. You know what a squat is, right? Okay, good. I, I don't know ever... But at any rate... But what I've realized as I've grown in maturity, I'm going to use the nice word, I haven't got old, I've got mature, is that Jesus is my strength. And in my weakness, he shows himself to be strong. In my frailty, he's an ever-present help. In my, in my concerns and all those things that seek to, to undermine me, he becomes my source of strength and my substance. Amen? He's my strength. Do you get there? Are you there with me on that with Jesus yet? 
Because if you're in the wilderness of, of weakness and you're going through some tough things, friends, listen, he is your strength. There is no strength like Jesus Christ. Amen? Nothing, nothing compares uh, to him. In the wilderness, God reveals himself. In the darkness of the wilderness, he shows himself to be light. If, in the wilderness, he separates you from the influences of this world, uh, as well as uh, things and people that you've wrongly leaned on. He says, I'm the one that you lean on. You don't lean on these things that aren't, aren't going to be there for you. God will be faithful to you in your wilderness experience, um, no matter what you're faith, uh, facing, just as he was faithful to the ancient Israelites. Let's go to the third point. The wilderness is the place of preparation of God's people for his purposes. Our Deuteronomy reading uh, noted at the end uh, that the Israelites' clothes didn't wear, wear out and their feet didn't swell. Looking back in those years of the wilderness, God said this in Deuteronomy 29, verses 5 through 6. Listen to this. Yet the Lord says, during the 40 years that I led you through the wilderness, your clothes did not wear out, nor did the sandals on your feet. You ate no bread and drank no wine or other fermented drink. Now, hear this last line. I did this so that you might know that I am the Lord your God. See, we find God in the wilderness. We come to this authentic faith in God in the wilderness because our lives are stripped bare. And we're receptive and we're open and we're needy to God. God had ordained that his people Israel would be a holy nation, uh, uh, a nation of priests to other nations. And the wilderness was to teach them and to prepare them that they could trust him entirely for this calling that God had placed on them as, as a group of people. So let me ask you a question. What has been your wilderness experience? Are you going through one right now? Do you suppose God's trying to teach you some things about himself? Have you learned the lessons? Because friends, listen to me. He's going to allow wilderness to go on until we get some things. It's his methodology to reaching the hearts of people. When God takes you to the wilderness, he withholds that which you have come to depend on that's not of him. He withholds that on purpose so that you come to the end of yourself and you cry out to him in desperation and you acknowledge, I need to depend on him. Maybe you came to depend on your job to provide. Then God takes away your job. What are you going to do? You get embittered about it? You're going to turn from God? Or are you going to turn to God? And realize, God, you are my only source. Maybe you came to depend on your own strength and stamina, and then God brings some kind of weakness in your life. So you can learn that your strength is in him. I remember a period, and I've shared this before, where I went through four major surgeries in the span of five years. And by the fourth one, I'm going, okay, God, I get this. I am weak, you are strong. I am so weak, and you are so strong. I, I do not depend on my frailty anymore. I'm totally dependent on your strength. That's where I turn to. I read something recently in, in a book. It's, it's, the book's name is A Non-Anxious Presence. And it struck me, and it's written by this guy named Mark Sayer. But he says in this book, and, and I'm going to quote and kind of summarize this for you, that what's going on right now in the world is that we're trying to create a fantasy world. And that's just not going to work. He says this, as individuals and as a society, we increasingly spawn and prefer fantasy environments from Instagram, where everyone looks better in their photos than they do in real life, to the political echo chambers of Twitter, in which algorithms ensure that everybody on your timeline agrees with your politics, to the forthcoming virtual reality playground of the metaverse. So what he's saying is we're creating all these fantasy things that people are considering to be real life. Uh, and then he goes, however, this doesn't work in a sin-soaked, broken, 
world with limitations, it's impossible. Humans are not divine. At some point, the endless quest for this fantasy fulfillment will run up against the boundaries of reality. For example, I love this example. We can fight the aging process with all the arsenal of weapons that are modern cosmetic industry. But the simple fact is you will get old. Amen? Some of you are so young, you have no idea what I just said. So the other day, I'm visiting with my in-laws. And I take off my baseball hat, and my mother-in-law says, Man, you are gray. Thanks, Carol. I think I knew that. I don't know where you've been the last five or ten years of my life. This is not something that happened yesterday. But she just was like, wow, you are really great. It must have been the light. <laughs> Some of you are, don't know whether to laugh or to cry for me, right? <laughs> and here's what was interesting. Science fiction author Philip Dick, I'm still quoting now from this book, commenting in the 1970s. Some of you weren't born then, Amen commenting in the 1970s since how fantasy would shape the future of society, warning that fake realities will create fake human beings, which will lead to a disastrous cascade of crisis in which fake humans will generate fake reality and then sell them to other humans, turning them eventually into forgeries of themselves. Are we seeing that very thing? Come on, think about all the social media stuff and what it's doing. I'm not anti-social media, whatever. I'm just saying it's fake. Most of it is fakery when you look at it, what is really going on. And then he says this, the end game, now I'm back to Mark Sayer now. The end game of such a process would be that society would transform into a very large version of Disney World. And I go, oh God, help us. No, I don't want Disney World. I've been there five times, never want to go back. Right? And, and that's what we're trying to, we're kind of heading towards with all the things that are going on. Well, the wilderness, friends, brings us back to reality. The world will make all kinds of promises it can't keep. It will present you with all kinds of goodies it can't come through on. But then God brings you to the wilderness and he sets the compass straight. He gets your life back on track and he says, you need to depend on me. You don't need to depend on these things that will let you down. So here's a perspective I think we need to embrace. What you may see as deprivation, God will use as preparation. Say that again. What you may see as deprivation in your life, as a wilderness experience, as something hard that you're going through, God may use that very deprivation kind of experience to prepare you for what he has in store for you as a follower. Listen to Deuteronomy uh, chapter 8. I'm going to read it again uh, and, and add a couple verses to it, okay? Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years to humble and test you in order to know what was in your heart. Whether or not you would keep his commands, he humbled you, causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your ancestors had known, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Your clothes did not wear out, and your feet did not swell during those 40 years. Now listen to the next two verses. Know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, so the Lord God disciplines you. Why? Because he has his best interests, has our best interests at the heart of how he's treating us, Right? Observe the commands of the Lord your God, walking in obedience to him and revering him. So all these things happened so that these people would become sons and daughters of the living God and following his ways and living according to his purposes. What strikes me in particular about a wilderness experience is that it reveals God's 
plans and desires for your life. And I would not normally think of them that way. I normally think of them as being something to escape. How about you? I'm in the middle of something hard. What do you, what's the natural response? Him and the, I just want to get out of this. But I can hear my God say, reside in it for a while. Learn the lessons I want to learn. We're an impatient culture. We just went through three or four years of hardship. Everybody just wants to get back to life as normal. Life as normal never, never was good. We need life in Jesus Christ is what we need. And for us who are Christ followers, a little deprivation is good for our souls. It drives us back to dependency on our God. And it tells us what's important. And it helps us let go of those things that aren't important. So here's my conclusion. The wilderness is a place of revelation where God reveals himself to you and you learn about yourself also. Listen to Exodus 19, verses 2 through 6. This is still about, it's still about the wilderness experience. After they set out from Rephidim, they entered the desert of Sinai, and Israel camped there in the desert in front of the mountain. Then Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain and said, This is what you are to say to the descendants of Jacob and what you are to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of what? Priests and a holy nation. See, that was God's plan for Israel. That was what the wilderness experience was supposed to accomplish. These are the words you would speak to the Israelites. So you see why God brought the Israelites into the wilderness? Why? So that they could become his people a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. What does God want from us, friends? What does he want from us today? What does he want us to be? Have you thought about that? He wants us to be a holy nation, a kingdom of priests for the glory of Jesus Christ. How does he accomplish that in us? Well, there's his experiences. That's how he accomplishes it. It's his methodology. For most of us, I'm speaking now, mainly from my own perspective here, for most of us, the only place we can be ready to receive a revelation like this from God is in the wilderness because we're too busy, we're too distracted, we're too self-occupied. And in the wilderness, we become open and receptive to God. What are you doing, God? What do you want to do in my life? And he can show us himself in a new way and we learn to lean on him more than ever. So where are you right now? Do you find yourself in the midst of a God-appointed wilderness? Struggling to know God's wills and ways in your life? Do you feel alone there? Do you feel abandoned there? I know how you feel. I think I spent half my life in the wilderness. Amen? How about you? I felt really alone. I've talked about that. I felt discouraged. I felt despair, just like anybody else. I just remember my mom. She went through, it was a hard life for her, what she went through. And she finally figured out about my age now how to be happy, how to set boundaries, how to become healthy. And we begin to have really good discussions and begin to really share on a different level than we ever had before. And then she gets a little older and turns 73 and she gets glioblastoma and she dies four months later. I was devastated. I was angry. Anybody been there? I thought, this is so unfair. And I struggled with the Lord. I'll be honest, I struggled. I said, I don't see the good in this. I don't know what you're doing here. You know, and and, and if I was honest, I was in the wilderness. I was despairing. I go, God, I don't know if I I trust right now. I don't even know what to do. I don't even know how to process this because it just doesn't seem right to me. You ever been there? 
God can handle your hard questions. He wants you in the wilderness to come to him with the hard questions and struggle through them all. You know, you have to conclude he's sovereign. He knows what he's doing. I can't understand it from my limited perspective. Amen? And I knew all the theological answers, but I still had to go through the experience. Just like everybody else has to go through the experience. Ever felt worn and tired? Just worn out? Anybody feel that way? If you're a young parent with young kids, you're worn out and tired, aren't you some? Maybe your kids just sleep through the night. I don't ever had, I've never had one of those. I, I, I heard about them and I thought, wow, what a miracle. We had to train all of ours and it usually took months and months. And so, I remember Vicki had this, I, I'm sidetracking. Okay, that's okay. So Nate, our, our thirdborn, this is parenting stuff for you parents, okay? I don't normally do this. So Nate, our thirdborn, um, was nine months old, and the boy loved to eat. And he loved to visit mom in the middle of the night because she was nursing him. You know, we believe strongly in nursing. Vicky had allergies, and this was a way to, to prevent allergies. And so the boy was getting his mom up two or three times a night to nurse. And he didn't need to do it. He was a big strapping guy. He could go through the night. She just loved the food, and he loved the, the, the association. So Vicky had a, a pastor like myself said this. So you guys can all get mad at me now because I'm passing it on. This, this Tom Stewart said, men, you need to get up with your child if they're nine months old and take care of them and leave your life to sleep. I said, oh, great. Why are you saying that? You know, I had a pretty good gig going until you're talking like that. So she comes home and says, that's a brilliant idea. And I said, oh, I don't think there's anything brilliant about that at all. How about you guys? How about you men? What do you think? Nope, you're not going to say anything because your wife's sitting next to you, aren't you? I was going to say wimps, but I would do the same thing. So I go home, and I walk in there. He's up and fussing, and he's standing in the crib bouncing. You know how they bounce? Ha, I'm ready for food. Yeah, I walk in, and you could just see the look of puzzlement, like, what are you doing in here? <laughs> and I patted him on his little head and his little behind. I said, you're fine, buddy. Go back to sleep. He didn't go back to sleep. I wish I could have a good story ending here. He cried. It was like two hours back and forth. And I'd go in every few minutes and say, you're okay. Lay him back down. Pat him. Please go to sleep. Pat him. He cried. He cried. And, and so finally after two hours, he went back to bed. Now, now, this is not child abuse. I was there for him. I was comforting his soul as much as I knew how. Amen? So that morning I wake up and I say to Vicky, not a good idea. I'm so tired. He says, well, let's give it another shot. Sure, you would say that. So the next night I go in, same thing. What are you doing there? But it only lasted an hour. I thought, oh, we're making progress. Third night I go in there. He just nose dives down like this. I said, good boy, good night. Three days it took. Miracles happen, amen? That was a wilderness experience that had a really quick outcome. Listen, if you're in a wilderness experience, you might be thinking about abandoning God. Don't do that. Don't do that. It's breaking my heart to see so many people abandoning God right now. They call it the great resignation in the church. You're seeing so many people who said they were Christ followers just go through a couple of years of just a little deprivation. I call it little. It's not that bad. And they're giving up on the Lord. Really? Don't do that. The wilderness needs to drive you to God, not away from God. And oftentimes, if you're in the wilderness, you might be angry at God. That's a normal response. You might be angry at yourself. Um, Frequently, people sin because they turn from God and they think sin will satisfy now. And then they wonder, now what do I do? 
Sometimes God takes us into the wilderness not only to discover who he is, but to discover who we are. And I've discovered this. Now, this is not a feel-light message. Are you all right with that? I've discovered in my wilderness, I'm much more of a sinner than I think I am. How about you? I'm, I'm good at sinning. I'm good at being selfish. And wilderness is meant to show you that depravity that you have so that you know how, what a Savior you serve. Amen? And it's all to show you how compassionate and kind-hearted the God is that we serve. Um, frequently, then we don't think we're that bad. I'm going to tell you this. You're that bad. You all right with me saying that? You're that bad. And I've got through iterations of discovering just how selfish and sinful I really am. And God uses these wilderness experiences to reveal that to us. Listen to Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 13 through 21. It says this, You came down on Mount Sinai. You spoke to them from heaven. You gave them regulations and laws that are just and right and decrees and commands that are good. You made known to them your holy Sabbath and you gave them commands, decrees and laws through your servant Moses. In their hunger, you gave them bread from heaven. And in their thirst, you brought them water from the rock. You told them to go in and take possession of the land you had sworn with uplifted the hand to give them. But then our ancestors became arrogant and stiff-necked and they did not obey your commands. They refused to listen and failed to remember the miracles you performed among them. They became stiff-necked and in their rebellion appointed a leader to return to their slavery. But you are a forgiving God, gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love. Therefore, you did not desert them even when they cast for themselves an image of a calf and said, this is your God who brought you up out of Egypt or when they committed un, uh, awful blasphemies. Because of your great compassion, you did not abandon them in the wilderness. By day, the pillar of cloud did not fail to guide them on their path, nor the pillar of fire by night to shine on the way they were to take. You gave your good spirit to instruct them. You did not withhold your manna from their mouth, and you gave them water for their thirst for 40 years. You sustained them in the wilderness. They lacked nothing. Their clothes did not wear out, nor did their feet become swollen. Do you see what's going on here? Two things. One, they're seeing what? How great and kind and compassionate God is. What else are they seeing? How unfaithful they really are, and how needy they really are. And how desperate they really need God and how much of a sinner they really are. Amen? Do you see that? Do you see that dichotomy going on here? Do you understand that? That's what the wilderness does for us. Do you think that God maybe takes you in the wilderness so that you know yourself better and you know your God better? What do you think? I do. He can show you what a sinner you are and how needy you are of Christ. And I think this... uh, in spite of this, uh, uh, who we are, our God remains faithful. He remains uh, compassionate. And God will be faithful to you in whatever wilderness situation you're going through. Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 31 says this. In the wilderness, you saw how the Lord carried you, just as a man carries his son. Do you like that imagery? In the wilderness, God carried them. He sustained them. It's like a, 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 Mark has a bunch of little kids. It's like carrying one of the boys. You know, you just carry. You keep, he's carrying us. Do you see him carrying you? Do you understand that imagery? Do you suppose that God carries you way more than you maybe acknowledge or understand? I've been at times in my life where I think, do you still want me, God? You know how I think. Surely somebody else should be raised up to do what I do that could do much better at it. I'm not a very good husband. You ever thought that, men? I've thought that. I'm not a very good husband. I've thought many times and I'm not a very good father. I could be a much better father. I, I, I feel like I fail. And I think God carries us way more often than we realize. How about you? I just watched Jesus' revolution. 
A lot of, hey, anybody watch that? A lot of you watch that. I've had a bunch of people saying, you ought to watch that, Steve. After all, you lived through some of that. And I did. I did. I went, I went through it. I went to Souls Harbor, and it, 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 it birthed the Jesus People Church in the Twin Cities. And, and I was one of those guys that was really caught up in that movement. And one of the things I realized about that movement, even watching the movie again, was this wasn't a movement about leaders. I know it was about Chuck Smith and Lonnie and some of these other guys, but it was not a movement about leaders. It was not a movement birthed in a bunch of good preaching. In fact, uh, years ago when I, I came back here, I was talking to another guy that had gone through the Jesus People movement, and he said, have you ever listened to some of the preaching back then? Do you have, yeah, I have some of that on, you know, ancient tape stuff that you used. And he goes, what do you think? I said, it was terrible. He goes, yep, it was terrible. People didn't come to Christ because the preachers were dynamic and really articulate. They didn't come. You know why they came to Christ? We were in the wilderness. I was despairing. I was in this drug-infused little community feeling lonely and desperate. And I needed something. Amen? I needed something real to sink my teeth into. I needed to find an answer. And the answer was Jesus. And you could just have said to me, Jesus. And I said, great sermon! And that's where we were at. There was this hunger and there was this thirst. Why? Because you're in the desert, man. You're in the wilderness and you want something. And God shows up in those places that are hard. And man, he got a hold of my heart at 13 and he never let go. Was it an easy process? No. Did I drink? Yes. Did I have impure thoughts? Absolutely. Did I have a foul mouth? You betcha. I swore like a wild man especially when I played sports, especially muttering it under my breath. And uh, it took me about six years after I was born again to get my mouth to not swear, and then took up another 10 to get my mind to not swear silently. Anybody relate to me? And God was working on me that whole time. He's transforming me, and he's changing me. But it all began with that desperation in the wilderness of wanting to know him. And God took away my anger. It took me years not to be an angry person. I was just angry. And it took me years to get over the fact that maybe, you know what, other people are okay. I, had, I would call classic detachment disorder. I didn't trust anybody. I jokingly say I don't hug. Where do you think that came from? I came by it environmentally, man. That's where it comes. That's what we do. We all deal with these hiccups, amen? So when people say, I'm going to hug you, I'm going, oh, good grief, please don't touch me. And I will, I'll hug. I know some of you want to hug now. But um, but, but any rate, you know what? I just want to pray that you, if you're in the wilderness, that you would grab a hold of Jesus today like never before. And it's not about preaching. It's about what the Holy Spirit's doing right now in your heart. He's tugging on some of your hearts saying, it's time. It's time that you just lean heavily into me. And maybe you're a follower of Christ and you've been following him hard, but you know what? You're kind of doing it in a civilized way. Get uncivilized. Be a little bit crazy and be a little bit out there. You know what? I actually slip up every now and then. I'm out in public and I just say, praise Jesus out loud. Oh, that just slipped out. I was at the counter and one, the girl was saying something to me and checked me out. I said, well, bless you. And I said, oh, I just did my pastor thing. Well, bless you. She kind of looked at me like, what are you talking about? But that's okay. We don't always have to make sense to the, to the world. We need to make sense before our God. And I want you to be so full of the Holy Spirit, folks, that it slips out of you. Amen? You just can't help it. That's who you are. It just comes out. Just like that swearing used to come out of me when, when I got, now it's the opposite. What slips out of me now is what? Jesus. 
And that's what I want for us desperately. You with me? Let's pray, and then I'll turn it back over to Dana and gang here. It's a great song. It's good, good music today, amen, right? Sorry, anyway, detract. I'm going all over. Lord God, thank you for this uh, message today in the wilderness. I, we just love you, Jesus. And I think very rarely do we say thank you for wilderness experiences, but that's what I, I say today. Thank you, Jesus, for wilderness experiences. I thank you, Lord, for all those tough things I've gone through in my life. At the time, I wouldn't thank you. I didn't see the deprivation and what it was doing that was preparing me, Lord, preparing me for such an hour as this. I, I, I didn't recognize it, Lord, and that's often the case. In the midst of the wilderness, we're often confused. We're often perplexed. We, we don't know what's going on. And I pray in the midst of all that kind of thinking, Lord, one thing would always dominate. We hang on to you tightly. And we know that you're working all things for good for those that love you and are called according to your purposes. And Lord, I pray that we'd be that kind of people that go through the wilderness and come out the other side, Lord, prepared, equipped, more mature, more clinging to you than ever, Lord. I just pray that this church would be known as a people that they really depend on Jesus a lot there. That we would just uh, hold on to you tightly, Lord, no matter what's going on. We love you and we praise you, Jesus. Thank you for this opportunity to talk a little bit about something I think that's really real in the lives of so many people. We love you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.